A couple of years ago, I was the official event photographer for the annual awards ceremony for a big New South, actually Australian organisation. And one of the key photos that I had to take was a photo of the Governor-General. The Governor-General was there, I should have said that. This is a big event. The Governor-General's car was going to pull up and he was going to come out and walk into the hall. And one of the photos I had to take was the classic, like, walking out of the door, entering the hall photo. So I'm nervous as anything. Obviously, I'm not going to have to talk to the Governor-General. I'm not going to get to talk to him. But if I miss this photo, I don't get to say, excuse me, Your Excellency, could you get back in the car and come back out again? I get one shot. So I'm like scouting out the location, trying to get the lighting right. Okay, I'll stand here, the car's going to pull up here, then I'll come, then I'll have to run inside, get the different angle. And I'm talking with my liaison in the organisation, who was quite high up, actually. And he's saying, yeah, so the official party is the Governor-General of the country the CEO of the organisation, the chairman, and a bunch of people on the board, they're going to come in this fancy car. And I'm like, okay, good. Later on, I was planning it out, and I had a few more questions for him. So I go up to him, and I'm like, so when the royal party comes, and they pull up, then the royal party's going to do this, and I'll be standing here when the royal party comes, and he's giving me this weird look, and I'm like, what's going on? So rather than doing what I should have done, which is stop talking, I kept on talking to try and make him understand what I was saying. It's like, the royal party... When they come in the car, the royal party's going to pull up, the royal party's going to come out, I'm going to be standing here, the royal party's going to walk past. Anyway, you can see where this is going. Ten minutes later, the car pulls up with the Governor-General and some fancy person says something like, would you please be upstanding for the entrance of the official party? And I'm sitting there kneeling on the side of the road thinking, you goose. I've just called it the royal party for about ten minutes and everyone in the organisation has been looking at me funny. How would you welcome an important visitor? That's the question. Today is Palm Sunday, and Yuki's read for us Matthew's telling of the story of Palm Sunday. What is cool about this story is that the same story is present in all four Gospels. One thing I recommend you do for fun and for formation is find a story that is in all four Gospels and compare it. Find out which details the Gospel authors keep and which ones they take away. So Palm Sunday is today. 2,000 years ago, we celebrate the day that Jesus entered Jerusalem as king. But what kind of entry did he get? Was there a small 17-year-old boy nervous taking photos of him? Probably not. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you want to speak to us and you want to form us into the image of your son. And we just remember your son entering Jerusalem. On this day, we celebrate Palm Sunday. You came into Jerusalem and we know what you did in that city. So I pray you'd speak to us and I pray that I would get out of the way. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've read Matthew's Palm Sunday and I've already said that the story is told four times and I've already done the work of what Bible nerds call horizontal redactional criticism, which is where you have all four and horizontally look at what's different between each one. But I think... John adds this detail, Luke adds this paragraph, Matthew takes away this thing. But I think there are three big aspects to the story of Palm Sunday that are common across the four Gospels. So we're just going to spend some time in the story of Palm Sunday. These are the three parts of the story. The ride, the road, the word. The ride, the road, and the word. We'll start off with the ride. It mattered to Jesus the way that he entered the city. 
it mattered. Jesus had carefully planned out precisely the way that he was going to enter Jerusalem. So he tells his disciples in the passage, basically, go to that village, you'll find a donkey, take it. If the people are like, can you not steal my donkey? Say, the Lord needs it, we'll give it back later. Bring the donkey back. So Jesus gets on this donkey and he enters Jerusalem as its king. But why a donkey? Jesus clearly chose to enter in this way, but why a donkey? Why can't he walk? Why can't he do the thing where his disciples carry him like this? Why can't they get the big arch? Why a donkey? Well, in classic Matthew fashion, we're given an Old Testament prophecy. My second Bible reading tip is, number one, read the same story in four Gospels. And number two, read the Gospel of Matthew and underline every time it says uh, something like this was to fulfill the prophecy. Matthew is full of prophetic fulfillment of Jesus. In this passage, the verse is a reference to Zechariah 9 verse 9, which says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So hundreds of years before Christ comes and enters Jerusalem, Zechariah envisions the day when the king would enter Jerusalem. But the way he envisions that day is not a ceremony of pomp and lavish display and party poppers going everywhere. But he sees the king entering on a donkey. It was customary in this day for military leaders and kings and emperors to enter a city on a war horse, on the biggest horse possible. And you'd have all this fanfare and excitement. Jesus knows this. And if there is anyone in the history of the world who, this, who um, deserves to enter Jerusalem in the biggest ceremony possible, it's Jesus. But he decides to enter on a donkey. He decides to go against what the culture says, and he knows that he is the Zechariah 9, verse 9 king who must enter the city on a donkey. Think about that. The teacher, the healer, the miracle worker... The king of the world is entering Jerusalem for the most significant week in the history of the universe. And he enters on a donkey. Donkeys, I don't need to tell you, are not a very classy animal. To enter on a donkey is not a lavish display. It's kind of awkward. It's embarrassing. It's humble. But this is what Jesus chose to do. He chose to enter Jerusalem on a donkey, and I think the reason he does that is he's trying to tell us something about who he is and what he's here in the city to do. He doesn't enter on the warhorse, and he does enter on the donkey to tell us who he is. And so the crowds, as they receive Jesus into the city, have a particular idea of who they're welcoming. They have an image of who Jesus is that's entering the city. And it becomes clear that the kind of person who they think he is is the Messiah, but what Messiah means for them is military leader. It's insurrectionist, it's rebel. So when they welcome Jesus, they're thinking he's going to come in, partner with them, lead a band of brave people with weapons to overthrow the Romans and bring freedom and liberty for the Israelite people who've been under Roman captivity for a long time. Occupation, not captivity, I should say. But that's not who Jesus is. Jesus doesn't come on the war horse full of power and might and strength, but he separates himself from that narrative and enters humbly on a donkey. 
What's interesting is the Zechariah 9 verse 9 passage has the words righteous and victorious. Your king comes to you righteous and victorious, but Matthew takes out those words. I think Matthew knows that in that moment, Jesus is not righteous and victorious yet. That comes later. But in that moment, he is humble as anything. He is the humble king entering Jerusalem. It's quite typical, I think, of Jesus to not do the thing we expect him to do. We could have a vision of the way that he's going to move in our life or what he's going to do here and here and here. But when I read the Gospels, I'm basically continuously surprised by what Jesus does. He has compassion on people I wouldn't have compassion on. He says words which I would never think of saying, let alone um, say in that moment. I'm thinking of John 3 where, no, this is a tangent. He talks to Nicodemus and Jesus answers questions that Nicodemus isn't asking. Jesus doesn't do what we expect. Sometimes I've wished that Jesus would like barge through the doors of my life and like kick them down and enter on a war horse and change everything. Make me a perfect person. Fix everything that's upset in my life. But instead, often I find Jesus comes into my life like a king on a donkey. He does change everything. He changes everything. He makes you alive. But the way he does that, there's a humility to it. So I don't know if you're waiting for him to barge down the doors, but maybe you need to open your eyes to see Jesus entering your life on a donkey. The humble king. The second part of the story of Palm Sunday. So we have the ride. Second is the road. The road of Palm Sunday. Jesus has been traveling a very long road to get to Jerusalem. He starts his ministry in the north of Palestine in a place called Galilee. He's born in Nazareth, does a lot of ministry around the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum. And the Gospel of Matthew, over the course of its 28 chapters, records the story of Jesus moving south and south and south and south and south until he enters Jerusalem. So he's presenting this big geographical narrative of Jesus entering Jerusalem. So 21 chapters of Matthew are building to this climactic moment in chapter 21 when he finally enters Jerusalem for the first and the last time in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew gives us a long, winding road of Jesus that finally ends up in Jerusalem. 21 verse 7 says, They, that's the disciples, brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. We learn from John's gospel that the branches that they lay are palm branches. That's where the name Palm Sunday comes from. So the people are laying their coats and their branches on the ground for Jesus on the donkey to walk over as he enters Jerusalem. I don't know about you guys, but when I receive an important visitor into my house or somewhere, my practice is not to take off my jacket and put it on the ground, especially the dirt, the dust. But these people, they don't hesitate. The crowds go, oh, this is an important guy. Cloaks off, on the ground, let's go. Why? Well, that happened one time in the Bible previously. 2 Kings 9.13 tells the story. Jehu said, here is what he told me. This is what the Lord says, I anoint you king over Israel. They quickly took their cloaks and spread them under him on the bare steps. Then they blew the trumpet and shouted, Jehu is king. So the pattern of laying your cloak down and for someone to walk over it is a declaration that someone is king. 
In this case, the action of what they're saying is not G who is king, but Jesus is king. So they take off their cloaks and lay them down on the ground for Jesus to walk over, to ride over on the donkey. They recognize Jesus is the true king of Israel, the king of kings. But what kind of king do they think they're welcoming? And again, it's not the kind of king Jesus is. When they put down their cloaks, they're thinking that this is the king who is going to lead them and unite them to overthrow the Romans, to lead them to victory against their oppressors. But again, Jesus comes in on a donkey. He's flipping the narrative. He's saying, this is not who I am. Who you think I am is not who I am. So it's true, Jesus is the king, but he's not the kind of king who they think he is. He's not the king they want him to be. Who do you want Jesus to be to you? Who do you want him to be to you? I have learnt, slash am learning, that in any kind of relationship, it is extremely important that you allow the person to self-define. As in, if I'm talking to you, I can't project like a light projector onto you, who I think you are. Mm, your name is this, you like this, this is your favorite color, this is your favorite movie. That's not a relationship. It is integral to a genuine relationship that I allow you to tell me who you are. You tell me where you came from, you tell me your story, and I receive that. But, and I put my hand up as being the worst of sinners, the most guilty person for doing this, I project onto God who I want him to be. I think too many of my prayers is 99.9% me talking and 0.01% listening. I say, God, this is who you are. This is what you'll do for me. Please. And I think that adding please makes it better. But God's like, mm, no, no, no. Actually, I have an agenda. What does Jesus pray in the Lord's Prayer? Your kingdom come, your will be done. We have to let Jesus set the agenda for what he's going to do in our life. We think he's the king. We know he's the king, and he is the king, but he's not the kind of king we think he is, and we have to let him self-define who he is, the kind of king he is. The third part of the story of Palm Sunday is the word. We have the ride, the road, and the word. Jesus enters Jerusalem riding on a donkey along the road of cloaks which are put out for a king, and there is one word which the crowds are shouting out to him, one word that sums up everything that they want to say. What is that word? Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Apart from making a pretty good worship song title, Hosanna is the substance of what they say to him. Now, you'll have to indulge me. I've been quite good the past few sermons. I haven't done any Greek, but we're going to do a little bit of Greek. Two minutes. Bear with me. Hosanna is an English word which is a transliteration of the Greek word Hosanna. A transliteration is when you take one word and you apply the letters of a different language to the same word. So you're not saying, what does the word mean? You're just transplanting the word, transliterating the word. Hosanna, English, comes from Greek Hosanna, comes from Hebrew, Hoshiana. I don't speak Hebrew, I did a bit of Greek in Bible college. But this is the same word, so when the, the crowds are shouting, Hosanna in the highest to Jesus, it is the exact same word that was spoken in Psalm 118, the only other time it's mentioned in the Bible. Psalm 118 in verse 25 says, Lord, save us. 
Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This word, Lord, save us, is one word in Hebrew, and that's Hosanna. Lord, save us. Look at the next verse. 26, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So the crowds in Matthew 21 shout both these lines to Jesus. Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. What I think is so cool about the word Hosanna is it has two meanings. Imagine, don't, you don't have to imagine, imagine I'm talking about Greek and I get really passionate and I come forward and I step forward and I break my ankle. Lord forbid. I'm broken, broken my ankle and I'm here and I'm shouting, Hosanna, save me. Someone come help me. And I see someone, say Mike Richardson has the first aid kit. He comes running in slow motion to save me. I'm here clasping my ankle. He's running to save me. I would say Hosanna because I'm saying, save me, Michael, save me. I need to be saved from this leg. But just as I lift my eyes and I see him coming, I say Hosanna because he has come to save me. You see in the psalm, Lord, save us. And then as soon as the words leave the psalmist's mouth, he said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. As soon as he says, would you please save us, he lifts his eyes and he sees the one coming to save them. And so over time, Hosanna, that one word, is both a petition, would you please save us, and a praise, thank you for coming to save us. One word. And so now the crowds are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, please, Lord, save us. And also, I can see you entering the city to save us. Thank you, praise you for saving us. The one word has both meanings. And this is the word of Palm Sunday. I think that's fascinating, the etymology of Hosanna. But again, it's tiring to have to say this the third time, but what do you think the people think they need saving from? When they say, would you please save us? Thank you for saving us. What are they asking to be saved from? The Romans. Oppression. The occupation. They want to be their own people. They want their own kingdom again. And so when they say, Jesus, you are the king, yet you're humble, confusing, You are the king entering Jerusalem. Would you please save us? And also they have confidence that he will save them. They're saying, would you deliver us from the Romans? But again, that's not the kind of saving Jesus has in mind. He is a savior. Luke 19.10 says, the son of man came to seek and save the lost, but he's not saving them in the way they think they need to be saved. What do you think you need saving from? Sin. Good answer. But when I wake up tomorrow morning, the first thought that enters, or one of the early thoughts that enters my head is what I would like to be saved from. I would like to not do that presentation on Wednesday. I'd like to not have to have that difficult conversation with that person on Thursday. I'd like to not have to do this. Could I be saved from doing those things? I would like to be saved from having to do these things. And so sometimes we maybe elevate problems too high, and we say, this is the biggest problem that is affecting my life. If only I could be saved from this thing, I'd be happy. And so Jesus comes as a savior, and sometimes I think, what's he saving me from? Sin, yes, but hold on, we'll get to that. I think, would you save me from having to do these annoying things? But Jesus knows there is nothing in your life, in my life, that is close 
to being as deeply rooted and problematic as sin. He came to save us from sin. Hosanna truly means save us from our sin, the root of all problems. Don't save us from a temporary occupation. You know the Romans were gone after a few hundred years? Another kingdom took their place? These things are temporary, but the problem of sin, which Jesus came to address, is the perennial human problem. And that's what he came to save us from. Hosanna means save us, please, Lord, and also thank you for saving us. So the ride, the road, the word. This is the story of Palm Sunday. The ride, Jesus enters Jerusalem on a donkey, not on the war horse. The road, they put out cloaks and palm branches before him to welcome him as king. And the word is Hosanna, which means save us now. And also, thank you for coming to save us. This is the story of Palm Sunday. But what's the point of Palm Sunday? What's the big point? Is it just a collection of three interesting little coincidences? Or is there a single unifying theme that governs the entire story of Jesus entering Jerusalem? I would put to you there is one. There is one theme which ties together the entire Palm Sunday story and makes sense of the road, the ride, and the word. And it is the question which Matthew asks at the end of the passage. Who is this? Who is this? Matthew 21, verse 10. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowd answered, This is Jesus, the prophet in Galilee, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. They're asking the question, who is this Jesus who enters Jerusalem on a donkey, walking on the path of cloaks as a king, while the people say, save us, O son of David, save us? Who is he? And at every single turn in the story, they get it wrong. They get it wrong who Jesus is. They think, they think he will come as the king to free them from the Romans, to upset the balance and make things right in Jerusalem. But he is not who they think he is. He is someone else. So the question is, who is this Jesus? That's the question of Palm Sunday. Who is he? Who are we welcoming this semi-mysterious figure into Jerusalem? And I won't give you the answer to the question because there is no answer to the question that comes. The, question, the answer to the question doesn't come until Friday and Sunday. This Friday and this Sunday, we find out who Jesus is. We receive him on Palm Sunday, but we find out who is this Jesus on Friday and on Sunday. Who is he? I guess that's a, a plug. Come back. Get the second part of the story. Who is Jesus? You'll find out on Friday and Sunday. 9 a.m. Friday, 9.36 p.m. Sunday. Who is this Jesus? We don't get the answer on Palm Sunday, but what we do get on Palm Sunday is what we should do while we wait to find the answer. This was quite an interesting, profound moment for me that I'll remember. I was kind of, well, I was preparing the sermon, and I realized Palm Sunday is kind of a pun. I think Palm Sunday is about the palms of your hands. Who is Jesus? 
The word Hosanna for me summarizes the story of Palm Sunday. Who is Jesus? Would you please save us? Whoever you are, with open palms, we come before the Lord and we say, please save us. And at the same time, we lift our palms and we say, thank you for saving us. Palm Sunday is about receiving Jesus with open palms. You may not know who he is until Friday and Sunday, but you can receive him and allow him to tell you who he is and allow him to do what he will do in your life with open palms. Palm Sunday. I feel like every time I hear the word Palm Sunday, I'm just going to think of my palms now. And that's a good thing. Receive Jesus. Receive him with open palms and praise him and lift them up and say, Lord, would you save us? Whoever you are, we believe you're the king. Would you save us? Thank you for saving us. Palm Sunday is about the palms. You might give a high five to someone after the service. Show them your palm. In the worship, you might raise your palm. Praise you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. And when you wake up tomorrow morning and the problems of the world cloud over you, you might, you might pray like this and say, Jesus, would you come into my life again? Would you enter my week, humble like a king on a donkey, but would you change everything because I come at you with open palms and I raise them in praise to you? We can't wait for Friday, but we cannot wait for Sunday, can we? Who is Jesus? Come back on Friday. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the story of Palm Sunday. We just praise you and stand in wonder at your humility that you would enter Jerusalem. The King of kings and Lord of lords would enter Jerusalem for the most significant week in the history of the world and you would do it on a donkey. And you're okay with people misunderstanding who you are. So as we sit in Palm Sunday before Friday and before Easter Sunday, we just stand with palms open before you, receiving you for everything you will do for us this week. And Lord, as we cry, Hosanna, would you please save us from our bondage to sin, the deepest problem we have. We also lift our palms to heaven and we say thank you for saving us. Thank you that you are here in the name of the Lord. So bring us back on Friday and on Sunday to hear the rest of the story. In Jesus' name, amen.